Hi, and welcome to the When Women Fly podcast, where we speak with women who dare to pursue their dreams and fly, literally and metaphorically. In a world that tells women we're too much or too little, it's easy to feel boxed in, but we're here to change the narrative, one story at a time. We explore the magic that happens when a woman owns her story and taps into the freedom of flight. I am your host, Sylvia Winter, a pilot, runner, skier, landscape architect, and apparently podcaster. Many of us stack our talents and explore what happens at the intersection of seemingly disparate pursuits. So welcome to a place where we can unleash from the expectations and join into a conversation about something that might just spark a pivotal moment for you. Thank you for joining me today. This week, I talked to Linda Leary, fly fishing guide extraordinaire from Anchorage, Alaska, about the current state of fly fishing for women. Linda is the founder of Fishywear, making functional fishing fashion for women. Fishywear has disrupted the apparel and gear industry. Linda is also the owner of education and outdoor travel company, Women's Fly Fishing. I thought we would beat Guy Raz from the popular How I Built This Show to this interview with Linda Leary because she is an innovator, an idealist, an entrepreneur. She's a woman on a mission and starting a movement to give more women access to fly fishing and the confidence to get out there, plus just simply the benefits of girls gone fishing. You are going to hear why Linda is so passionate about the benefits of fishing. Whether you are interested in fishing or not, there's something for you to ponder here. So join me in this fascinating, fun, and inspiring conversation. Fishy Wear is rewriting fashion where it meets function in the outdoor niche for women. For all of you entrepreneurs, present and future out there, who may just be sabotaging your next best idea by reasons it won't happen or you don't have what it takes, this one is for you. Let's get into it. My conversation with Linda Leary. Linda, thank you so much for taking the time to meet with me today. I'm so excited for our discussion here. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. So you're coming to me from Alaska, and I'm wondering if you can just go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us who you are and what you do. You bet. So I'm Linda Leary. I'm uh, the founder of Fishy Wear, which is uh, women's fly fishing clothing and gear. We teach women how to fly fish, and then we also do hosted trips. So it's kind of like three components. So it's experience, it's exploration, and then it's also just encouraging women to get out there and have the confidence to get out and go fish. So I moved to Alaska from Maine not far from you, and uh, right out of college, and have been here pretty much ever since, except for the Northwest, and was in uh, trucking and transportation for many years, and then evolved into a more creative side the last several years, so yeah. So how can fly fishing transform people? You know, you mentioned that one of the goals of the outfit is to bring more women and give more confidence. So I want to drill down into that and explore what it is about fly fishing, what skills are required that allow a sense of transformation by doing the fly fishing. What I uh, notice, whether I'm leading 
gals that work for me or taking women out fly fishing. A lot of women just have this innate, you know, not as much confidence in their abilities, especially to try something new, right? That's really get you out of your comfort zone. And for me, that's your greatest learning, right? When you're out of your comfort zone and you're really just trying to learn something new and you kind of, I'm a visual person and a feel it, right? So I have to be able to feel it and, and see it. And one of the things that drove me to want to do this is that I spent a lot of my career on the professional side. And so you'd see a lot of women in roles similar to mine running a company who are very a type A personalities. They're very driven, but they it's harder for them to relax. And they always feel like they have to do everything just perfect, right? And so fly fishing is kind of a humbling experience because there's a lot of mechanics to it and, and just learning, letting yourself go where you can learn something and learn it in a way that gives takes your entire focus, right? So it's a very, it creates this, this sense of relaxation because that can be your only focus. You're not thinking about this meeting that you have to be in or some big deal that you're having to work on. And you can just focus on that. You can focus on practicing the uh, techniques or, and not even in a, a way that, you know, some people get too caught up in the doing it perfect. And that scares some people away. And for me, it's always encouraging people just keep trying, keep trying to improve, keep trying to do better, just relax with it, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have to have the perfect cast. Like that's like one in 10 for anybody. (laughs) And the other thing that we've seen and we support a lot is um, casting for recovery and any of the groups that are supporting women in recovery from breast cancer or cancer in general. That's just a really, it's a relaxing way for them to not only forget about what's going on, but to work their arm muscles and their bodies and get some physical activity and just really just try to get better at doing it, but you don't have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. It's sort of the, the lesson in exercising precision, but letting go of the idea of perfection in, in order to do it. You just have to do that, right? Right. So it's just kind of letting go, which is hard for people to do, right? It's so fun to see people get so excited to get their first fish and they land it and, you know, they're running these billion dollar companies and they're like, yes, got it. It's just exciting. Right. And part of that satisfaction is the catch, but it's also the knowledge in their body that they've been able to be patient and present and immersed in the quiet that is required to actually land land a fish yeah very good point Mm -hmm. and the being in nature is hugely therapeutic as well yeah it's just so relaxing and then you know on our clothing side my goal was to try to create clothing for gals that was comfortable because it's like going to the boardroom and you're wearing a suit right and you know your wardrobe's all together and you feel confident because you feel good in the clothes you're wearing so why couldn't it be the same for for fishing? To me, there's this psyche thing that goes on where you're, you know, if you feel like you're together and you're not disheveled, then, you know, you're going to perform better and you're going to feel more confident. And maybe that's just me. I think a lot of gals maybe, maybe feel that way too. Yes. I think just because there isn't female apparel out there and accessories and gear for women doesn't mean that it's not really appreciated and 
there is something really disruptive about showing up in that field too, isn't there? Yeah, it's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of fun, yeah. Describe why it's, why it's fun. What's, what's behind that? For me, though, the draw to it is that I've never been, like, I've never thought about being a gal in a guy's world. I don't really care about that. It's really more about I was always just, whatever I wanted to work on, I would just focus on doing it. So in the trucking industry, you're just trying to have the best trucking company possible. You're trying to take the best care of your customers and make offers that are very different from everybody else's, right? And so there is a bit of creativity on the logistics and trucking side that I was in for many years. And so then I just took that over to the fishing side and thinking, what can we create that is going to be fun and different for gals that technically works and it's functional for gals, yet it's lets them express themselves as we're very art-based in what we do, but with nice quality products. And it's very different from what's on the market right now. And can try and set us up apart so that we can continue to, to serve our clients and what they need and, and what they like. And sometimes I make stuff that I think is going to work and then <laughs> I like it. It's since you like it, right? It, but it doesn't pass, which is part of the experimenting, right? Of the being an entrepreneur. We can, we're small, so we can experiment, which we have that luxury. What are some tips that you might have for aspiring entrepreneurs or people specifically? that are looking at a niche that doesn't exist and has a morsel of an idea to break into that, but has also a lot of reasons why they shouldn't try. (laughs) Everybody's like, don't do it. It's not going to work. You're always on guard to make sure that you have something that's sustainable and couldn't keep going. But I think for anybody that's starting out, it's just making sure that you have something that you're confident and comfortable with the fact that it's going to go forward and that you have a good plan. I'm a big goal setter and um, I like to have a plan that's going to work. And then surrounding yourself with a network of people that can help you because you don't have all the skills that you necessarily need. You don't have to be a CFO. You don't have to be a you know, product manager. You just have to have the concepts and be able to keep all those pieces together and running and then to surround yourself with good people. So what were some of the milestones that you laid out to get to where you are now? And how long has your company been thriving? So we started in 2015. So we're just six years. Well, almost seven, I guess. And so when I started out, my first milestone is that I knew I needed to ramp up fast and get product into production and um, start selling. So within six months, we had gone from concept to actually having some items that we were selling because I knew that always this driver, you have to, well, there's no payroll. I have to pay myself for the first few years, but, but you need to have money to pay for things, right? So you, gotta, you better start making things and selling and getting going. So we did. We did that. Started in February and then had had everything set up business-wise and then in production and selling products by the end of July. And so you just had a network of people or knew how to access people to know how to do that because you had no experience. No experience in it, no. Other than I'd had a little bit of an idea about how to sew because my mom's a tailor, seamstress, and (laughs) and I had a creative side, but no. So I would just start calling people that I knew 
in the industry from my experience in the past. Some of the guys at oh, one of the gentlemen that runs Cryptic uh, originally is from Alaska as well and was in trekking, Butch. And man, they're just so generous and helping. And the good and the bad and the pitfalls and suggestions. And, you know, I can't thank people like that enough for really, you know, helping. And then just, um, you know, other folks that I met along the way, the gentleman that's my CFO now worked with me for, for a couple of years, letting me ask him questions and would never, wouldn't let me char- pay him anything because he really wanted to see us be successful. And yeah, just so many people. And then friends that helped me find some of my first manufacturers and they lent me their graphic designers and wouldn't let me pay them. And, you know, gee. So it sounds like you really drew on a network that had been built over time and over your previous career. That's an important notation. So what is the context in which your story of fly fishing arises? My dad, who's turning 92 next week, he was a lifelong fly fisherman since he was like 15, growing up in, in Stockholm, Maine. Yeah, so he fished every day. And so if we wanted to see him, we needed to go fishing with him after work. And he'd get home after dinner. We'd go out on the lakes or the rivers and fish until sunset with he and my uncles. If I have a picture on my wall of my uncle and my cousin right at sunset, you just see their silhouettes. And that's what I remember out on the lakes and watching them. We'd be out in boats, two or three boats in this little cove, and my uncles and my dad would be just casting as the sun's setting. And it's just such a beautiful vision for me and watching them. You know, they're so graceful. and They just talk really quietly, you know, across the lake in this cove. And yeah, it was, it was great. So yeah, so he was a big supporter and encourager. And he caught the, it was two ounces shot of the state record for a landlocked salmon in Maine uh, on a and uh, fly and he and I taught a class in our hometown a couple years ago when he was 90 and we taught a fly casting class to some folks over the 4th of July and he's like oh I can't I'm not gonna help I'm just gonna sit here and then before I knew it he was up casting (laughs) casting showing everyone how it's done oh man yeah that was great so that was where you learned and then did you fish in the interim after you left home? Yeah. And so then when I moved to Alaska, and especially when I got into the trekking industry, we, you know, we would take clients fishing. And for several years, probably 15 years or so, we would go out to lodges and take a lot of clients out there. And I got to hone my skills and learn so much from the guides and just general practice over the years. And that's really where that all you know, took root for me. So explain to people who aren't familiar with the setup in Alaska with the lodges and flying into the lodges and that whole culture of that's kind of what you do is explain that and when, why it was something that drew you back. Well, Alaska, if you haven't been here, is probably a third the size of the lower, of the, not the lower 48, but the continental U.S. And 1% of the land is privately held and there's only a few major roads really so the whole state primarily is off-grid so you have to fly or by water to get to most of the locations so you know instead of cars everybody's got planes and you're flying everywhere so when you go out to a lodge traditionally what happens is 
they'll take care of the food, the lodging for you. And you'll fly out, you'll fish at these remote streams. So usually it's either you're fishing, either the lodge is on the home water where they're going to be fishing right on the river in front of their place, or they'll be flying out to locations in beavers or Cessna's on floats. And then you'll fish all day and come back to the lodge at night, have a nice meal. And it's just such a great opportunity to really get to know people and have some fun one-on-one conversations and I just lifelong friendships that you develop by having that time to share the experience of catching the biggest fish of their life or the one that got away is just an even better story, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. It's funny. It seems like that the term lodge could also be interchanged with sort of retreat, and especially because of the, the fly fishing itself is such an immersion. And really requires just total awareness of the events and the dynamics around you and the bite and the whole thing. It's just like you're, you're really required to leave a lot of the everyday things away. And to do that in a way for multiple days must, must be transformative. I mean, yes, the relationships and all that, but you must sort of come out a little bit different too that brings you back. Yeah, I mean, you go to really your basics, right? You get up in the morning, you have breakfast, you get on your waders and your boots, you hop in the plane or a boat, you're connected to the water, to the trees, the, the fish, picking the right fly that you want to use, focusing on your presentation and how you cast it to, you know, to, to get the fish don't want to bite and and then the tug that's what they call the tug is the drug they call it <laughs> when the fish hits right and then playing the fish and landing the fishes nuts you always want to do that but to me it's really the it's really the experience of being able to have a fly and and actually get the fish to want to bite it and yeah mm-hmm. and what do you see when you have people from the lower 48 that are, you know, all sort of taking themselves too seriously, taking ourselves too seriously, come up, show up, and really engage? What what do you see? Well, you know, you just see people really relax after the first couple of days. I mean, I can think of a good friend of ours that was working here and has a high-level executive job. He showed up at a lodge one time with all of us. And his skin tone was like gray, honestly, right? He didn't look well, super stressed. Skin tone is gray. I'm like, boy, he doesn't look good, right? Within a couple of days, his cheeks are rosy. He's feeling better. And he just like, his life came back into him. And I'm like, I mean, that's transformative right there, right? I mean, just the physical aspects of it and how much you can see the change in people let alone mental. I mean, it's astounding. And then how we can bring that into our life. Yeah, absolutely. It's good medicine. (laughs) I was thinking a lot in preparation for our conversation about fly fishing and some of the similarities between flying and fly fishing in terms of awareness of surroundings and just being really aware of the changes and the sort of the micro 
influences of the wind and the light and all of this sort of the aerodynamics of the whole project. And I think it, it calls on us in similar ways to be fully focused and, and patient. But that, and that's such an interesting pair to have the drive to both be focused, but then have the perseverance to be patient about it. And then it rewards, right? It's sort of this really mini laboratory of learning that lesson of perseverance and, and reward. But, but you do have to show up and be patient and be focused and really let a lot of the other things that are swirling around in, in your mind, let them go, as you said before, it's the letting go part. Absolutely. I took um, flying lessons in ground school and I'm always, even when I'm in a plane now, I'm always looking, right? You're observing, you're watching for other planes and you're looking around and, and you're right. You know, when you're in the water, you're watching where fish are jumping or bubbling. You're looking for the riffles in the water. You're watching for bears. You're <laughs> making sure you're not hooking something. And yeah, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Very much so. And and the weather and the wind affects how you're casting and how, or how you should change your cast and, and whether the water gets stirred up and yeah. What's your gauge on women in the fly fishing world right now? Is it, are things changing? Is there more energy? I mean, I think you're sort of part of a movement, I would like to think, of more inclusion. But what are your thoughts on inclusion and, and the community overall? There's always been women in the fly fishing or in the fishing industry. It's just that I think they show up differently now. I think there is, there's probably more opportunities for them to show up. There's more uh, groups like one of our ambassadors, Heather Hodson, has a group called United Women on the Fly. She's creating a community. There's companies like us creating the clothing and gear. Many of us, you know, there's um, Jen Ripple who has done magazine and she's it's beautiful magazine she was creating for fly fishing. You have rod makers like Sarah Bella Rods. You have Orvis doing their 50-50 on the water. But I think a common theme and what we all really try to do hard is really to uplift women, encourage women to go out and just fish, right? Whether you're a fly fisherman or fishing in general, and really be supportive of each other and encourage each other to learn and have fun with it and don't take it too seriously. And, you know, and just really, uh, you know, honor each other and, and be supportive. I mean, it's really the key. Yeah. Is it ever too late to start? Oh, no, no, never, never too late. Are there advantages of, as far as the sort of mindset of people that start at different ages? For anybody, they just have to be open to learning. I know young people that are just, they already know what they know, right? They don't want to. <laughs> right. So you either bring your growth mindset or. Right. Yeah. Or yeah, you have to be open to being out of your comfort zone, right? Mm -hmm. And wanting to learn. And so if people will let go and do that. I think at any age you can, you can learn. And sometimes it's better. It's like, I didn't learn to really run until I was like 50. And <laughs> that's kind of funny to say, but my friends are like, you didn't hurt yourself when you were younger, so you can run this longer. Yeah, exactly. Actually, yeah. My husband has a philosophy. He works with a lot of 
elite athletes. And he has a philosophy that we have runners only have like a certain amount of steps before they get hurt. So if you start late, I mean, there's actually a bad advantage to that in some ways. You haven't pounded away years of your running life. And somebody starting later fishing, maybe don't have the bad habits that if you started younger, you, you know, maybe want to learn to break some of them so that you're a better caster. But yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about fishy wear because I think the designs and the expression that you mentioned a little bit before, though, is really unique. And since this is a audio form of communication, our listeners won't have an idea until they go to your website. But tell us what your vision is for fishy wear in terms of the aesthetics and kind of where you draw your talent from. I love art. And so when we started thinking about creating clothing gear for women, we really wanted to have some art that's fish based on the clothing. So we, and I don't like to give people direction on how they do the art. So I would give a photo to an artist and we work mostly with female artists and we have a couple of male artists that have done stuff for us too, but primarily female. And so we'll give them the fish and we'll say, okay, this is kind of what I'm thinking, but you just go for it. And so they do. And We'll give them a little bit of input, but honestly, it's it's really what comes to mind for them. And this is so fun to see and to give them that freedom to do that and let's see what they come out with. And then we'll, you know, and then we take that and abstract it and put it on our products and try to make it so that it's tricky when you're making clothing for women that's has or art or pattern on it. You want it to look good and accentuate the right way. It makes you feel comfortable and good. And but it's expressive for the gals. And the cutest thing is when I get ladies that are 70s or 80s to come in and then they bring their daughters in with them. The daughters are conservative. They want darker colors. And the moms are like, woohoo. <laughs> I want you in those. This would look great on you. And, the, you know, they're getting their daughters to wear the older stuff because the moms are like, they don't care. They want to express themselves. <laughs> yeah, right, right. They're, they're done with the neutrals and they want to wear the, the, the grayling pants and look like a salmon. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, what's really fun is, you know, probably half our clients are guys buying things for the women in their lives and really want, excited to have them out fishing. And it's a lot of, we had a, a lot of just lifestyle, per, you know, people just buying it for lifestyle and fun. And, it's really great. And you sell some through Orvis? Yeah. So we actually have a collaboration with Orvis, Extra Tough, Groove Rings, and Cerebellus. We have three or four collaborations, but uh, the Orvis, we've created some bags with them, some sling bags and rod carrying cases. And we have a piece of clothing that's coming out this spring they'll be launching in april i think it is and then we have um with extra tough we've been doing boots so it's the rubber boots and we roll down and then our arts inside the boot and it's super super fun with those guys and we just did these cool apple watch yeah, i just noticed your apple watch <laughs> yeah those are ours that we do with grooves so that's been super fun too so 
So do you ever find that your previous love of fishing has been impacted by now it being kind of part of your job? The great part is that we have the trip side of our business. So I get out and host. I'm hosting a trip next month to Andros Island to go bone fishing in the Bahamas. And it's easy to get sucked into just running the companies and not practicing. And so very good point. And when you get out fishing, I mean, you just really need to do that because you have to stay fresh with what's going on and, you know, really get down to the root of where, you know, what research needs to be done and what next you want to develop and just talking to people. I mean, that's invaluable. So you have to stay current and that gives you energy. And then having that built into your business that you have to go to the Bahamas probably helps a lot too, right? Just give yourself a a mental break. Yeah. Yeah. That's our first time to do that. And yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be, it'll be good, but it's so fun to see gals want to get out there. and And that's all women. Yes. What is the decision to continue doing all women's trips? You know, we do women's and then we do couples as well. And there are a lot of gals that are just more comfortable having other women, you know, leading them or teaching them. And to be able to have a group of gal friends to go and fish with, I think for them, it's maybe less intimidating. And they realize this too, because I've never experienced it, but they feel safer sometimes. And, you know, going to a new lodge or uh, something like that, but I'm This is probably less intimidating with a group of gals, Mm -hmm. but a ton of guy friends too. They're like, I want to go fish. I'm like, well, you got to have a gal with you. (laughs) (laughs) So this podcast, When Women Fly, I celebrate the spirit of flight. And I use that literally and metaphorically, but basically taking on challenges and reaching beyond the predetermined limits that we might have for ourselves. So what does flying mean to you? To me, I think it means being able to try and do anything that you want, that nothing's out of reach. And if you put your mind to it, you'll figure out how to do it. And you shouldn't let anybody tell you that you can't and you can't figure it out or that you're not good enough. And it's just like, okay, well, if you can do it, I can do it. And why shouldn't I figure it out? For you, learning to fly a small aircraft, what was the obstacle for not moving beyond the training? Well, I started having kids. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So there was probably more at that time, that financial side of it, when we were younger and newly married and having kids. And then I'm like, you know, for me, what I really got out of it was that because my business partners flew planes, they all, we all flew a lot all together. And it was like, okay, really the goal for me is to be more comfortable flying in small planes. Now I know what they can and can't do. Is, is, and then I could probably land one if I had to. Mm-hmm. So that was okay for me. Yeah, you didn't have the bug to go out and sort of go to these places because you wouldn't be going alone anyway, probably. No, and we have tons of friends with planes, so we can always get, you know, you can get into a plane somewhere and go somewhere. But it was more of the, uh, I could, fly in a small plane and be super comfortable and and not worry about it. Where's your favorite place to go via air in Alaska? So 
flying out to Western Alaska. And there's this place called Yugashik Narrows. And it's just beautiful. You fly by these volcanoes. You come into this big lake. And it's like a thoroughfare between two big bodies of water. And, you know, big Arctic char in there. And there's bears. And it's this sweeping landscape. And cab- a couple of cabins there. And this gentleman, I God, he's Australian or Swiss. I lived there for years. He had a cabin, and so he'd always come out and greet us and wave. And I, it's just, that's iconic. It's just like my favorite place. So I tell my husband if I'm ever think I'm not living long, that's where I want to go. Where? <laughs> Do you? Is there a place to to stay, or is it, is it? Mm-mm, no, no. You have just to fly out there, just like a day thing. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful, and just boy. Two summers ago, we went up by Kennecott Mine, which is north of here. And it's on near the Canadian border. And we flew into these big mountain ranges and they called it the Bat Cave. And it's just, you're surrounded by mountains that are, I don't know how many thousands of feet high. And it's just, you know, breathtaking. So breathtaking. And very much kind of asks you to like think differently about your little human existence when you're, you're in pretty that small. <laughs> you're pretty small right yeah you're pretty small and all that yeah oh my gosh are you ready for a little speed round oh sure all right let's do this what have you done by 9 a.m on a typical day i'm at work i've had coffee and emails i've answered and called checked on my parents <laughs> That's usually my morning. What is um, one thing that most people don't know about you? I make pickled herring. If you had a food truck, what would it be? It'd probably be Thai food. And what are you most proud of? I'm most proud of my kids. Probably my kids, my own personal kids and my work kids. I have a ton of 20 and 30-year-olds that work for me that are amazing. I'm most proud of all the you know, the employees that I've worked with over the years that you see them grow and expand and bloom into their own personalities. Do you have any advice that you would give people pivoting in their career midlife? Don't be scared. It's okay to change. I, I remember talking to a friend about going from trucking to, I was doing telecom for a while and I, and I do some consulting work too. So I still work in that space, but they're like, you did, tra- you did transportation for 20 to 30 years. Why not try something different? Why not reinvent yourself and do something different? But luck, you know, I was had the luxury I could do that and just try to reinvent yourself and do something different. So for years, I was known as a lady from Carlisle, and now I'm the fishy wear lady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you are squarely the fishy wear lady at this point, yeah. right? <laughs> They're like, oh. And what will the next chapter hold? You know, that's interesting because I've been working on my goals. I'm also in a leadership master's program. And so we have to do our goals and uh, thinking out that far. My goal is just to leave a legacy for, you know, I love entrepreneurship and I love fishing. And so some combination of that where I can continue to give back and help young leaders, guys and gals to grow and not be afraid to do startups and and also helping in some way in the fishing industry but to fish myself too <laughs> around the world that's what we really want to do 
<laughs> yeah, the South Karen. Oh, our goal is to be able to fish anywhere around the world that we want to at least four times a year. That's my ultimate goal. That's a great resolution or goal. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any parting advice that you'd like to give listeners just about exceeding expectations or coming up with pivots in their life that they are willing to go for? Well, you know, I, re- I just love your, you know, the whole theme of your podcast. And I think that not being afraid to fly and to soar and to try something new and to be out of your comfort zone is just the greatest learning and the most rewarding. And I just don't cut yourself short and, you know, really just go for it and try it because you won't know unless you give it a shot, right? That's right. You won't know it if you're not patient and just a lot of lessons that are resonating with me right now about fly fishing and being outdoors too right? The importance of that, which, you know, is part of your life integrated into Alaskan life regardless. But for a lot of people, it is easy for life to take over and not have a connection with nature. So I want to just put an underlining on that as well as being just a really critical part of what gives someone like you like energy and, and also just to make the choices that you have made to prioritize being outdoors. And, you know, I know a lot of people that are in charge of their own time and don't build in work trips like you have. And there's some lesson in there that I want to highlight as well. Yeah. And there's a lot of value in building those relationships and those networks with people over the years that are lifelong relationships and friendships. So, And they grow over time, which is neat too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you might draw on on someone's advice. And then in another season, you know, you might be the one giving them advice, which is neat how that works. That's the true definition of a network, I suppose. Yeah. And those conversations you have sitting on the side of the river, on the riverbank, are, you know, invaluable side by side. It's amazing. Thank you, Linda. This has been a lot of fun. I'll make sure that I have links in the show notes for fishy wear and, and all the things that you've mentioned in this really fun conversation. Thank you, Sylvia. I appreciate it. Thanks for including me. I just returned from Montana and had the chance to fly fish with my daughter. It was the first time we'd done that together, just the two of us down a beautiful river, half just enjoying the excuse to be out and half actually practicing the skill of landing a fly just so in the water again and again. A total highlight for me. And it gives me such a belief that what Linda is doing is the real thing. We can change by what it is we focus on. We can shed the noise by getting quiet and in the present moment. This is such a transferable skill. So perhaps I'll see you up in Alaska or with Linda in the Bahamas. We'll put a link to Linda's outfit, women's fly fishing, and fishy wear on our episode page. We also have a coupon from Linda to use on her website for a discount. So check it out. The designs are fun and fancy and eye-catching. Who needs to be subtle these days? You've been listening to the When Women Fly podcast, an independent creative project founded by me, Sylvia Winter, to amplify the voices and expand our vocabulary when it comes to ways in which we fly, how we do it, and why it is important. Thank you for listening. Subscribe to the When Women Fly podcast and each episode will come directly into your queue. 
so you won't miss a beat. Have a great week. I send you love and light and strength and flight, however that shows up for you today. Be bold, be brave, and fly. I'll see you next time.